started. Parsh Kisisa. So a few uh, big highlights. Uh, one of them is a big low light, which is uh, the Chet the sin of the golden calf, which is a fascinating uh, thing to wrap our head around so quick after we reach the pinnacle as a, as a Jewish people. We go straight to something which seems on a level, as we'll get into the Ramban, He'll call it on their level, it was a form of idolatry, even though they didn't want that to take the place of God, they wanted it to take the place of Moshe Rabbeinu as an intermediary between us and God. But on the, with the expectation of who we were as Klal Yisrael, it was, it was considered idolatry, and it's something that is a, a reminder and something that remains inside of all of us as Klal Yisrael until today. So that's, we'll call it a highlight of the parsha, but really a lowlight but something that Bez Hashem will be focusing on. There's also the Mitzvah of Shabbos, that Bez Hashem, the main psukim, the main verses concerning Shabbos, come up, and our Parsha begins with the Mitzvah to give a half shekel, the Mitzvah of Machzis HaShekel. So here we go. Hashem spoke to Moshe to say over. We're back to having Moshe Rabbeinu's name in the Torah. He sees, so when you lift up, as Rosh B'nai Yisrael Lifkudayim, the heads of B'nai Yisrael Lifkudayim, according to their counting. Now Moshe didn't walk around with the Jews and say, hey, pick up your chin, pick up your chin, correct your posture. But that's what it seems. He's picking up their heads. Uh, so Rashi immediately is bothered with this, and he says, no, what it means is to lift up your heads. You have to show them that, they are, uh, that, that they're chashev. You have to show Klal Yisrael their importance. And the way you show somebody, uh, somebody's importance is you count them. You don't count individual pieces of sand. You don't count individual uh, uh, pieces of straw. But you give a number to thing. You can't have the number 10 unless you have one, two, one through nine. Then you can get to a 10. So to lift them up is an expression of showing them importance. We don't count. Uh, if a person does count and you only give a number... To something that actually causes a plague. It's a fascinating uh, discrepancy that you need to have over here. So you're supposed to count, but you're not supposed to use an actual number. Interestingly, this is what the Nazis tried to do, right? Just give numbers to people and, and you lose your identity. The, here we want to get a, a give over the importance of each individual person counting towards the bigger whole, but also has to be part of the individuality that's there. So instead of counting with numbers, each person gave a half shekel. They, we, we actually gave a coin, which is for something productive, something constructive that was, uh, that was coming out of it. Zegitnu, this is how much you should give. Call over la pikudim, machtsis ha shekel, beshekel ha kodesh, esrim gera shekel, shekel was a weight. So sometimes shkalim, like we have nowadays in the Israeli uh, currency, is not the same shekel that we have. So the Torah describes the weight in silver of what a shekel is. It's 20 gera. Machzah shekel had to be a half shekel. You don't give a whole shekel. Also, another message in that a Jew is never complete without another Jew. Teruma, you give truma l'ashem. We give truma for Hashem. And everybody who passed through the counting, and this is also as we've, we learned in the Hilchas Purim Shir, is the source for why we give the half shekelim prior to Purim, so that our shekelim should beat Haman's uh, 10,000 silver talents and the weight that he offered to, uh, to Ahasuerus, and this half shekel was uniform. That's what I want to initially focus on, because it's a very rare thing that you'll find in Klal Yisrael, uniformity. It's very rare. 
The Torah is letting us know, however, that it's necessary. It's necessary. Usually the Torah way is unity without uniformity. That's usually the Torah's way. We're unified, which means we, are, we care for each other, we're there for each other, but we're not uniform. You do not do what I do, and I do not do what you do in the way that we, in the way that we express ourselves. Within the realms of halacha, that's good, but otherwise, different. We actually have this halacha just uh, two days ago. On Purim, we were zochet to have the mitzvah of mishloach manos, to give gifts to others, to show them to build relationships with them. And the halacha states in Shulchan Aruch that um, depending on a person's position is, and, and financial standing is going to depend on whether they got a mitzvah or not. Uh, depending on what they give. If somebody's, uh, if somebody's uh, uh, in middle school, somebody's in high school, so you're supposed to give within your means. You're supposed to give a bag of chips and a can of soda. That's general means for somebody in middle school and uh, at high school. It doesn't need to be something that's, something that's larger. If you were to come to my house on Purim and I was there, which I wasn't home too much on Purim, but if I, I would have been there and I would hand you a bag of chips and a can of soda, you'd be it's fine. But I don't think you would necessarily take that and say, oh, you know, the, you know, uh, Tendler really invested in me over here. Okay? And depending on a person's both uh, position and financial standing in the community is going to be, since the purpose of Mishloach Manos is to enhance friendship and show you care. So we're not allowed to be uniform with over here. We're actually supposed to, uh, we're actually supposed to um, give uh, you know, we're supposed to give the, uh, the uh, according to one's uh, unity, but without uniformity. You give what you're supposed to give. I give what I'm supposed to give. And, and, and that's, how it's, you know, that, that's how it's meant to be. Um, interestingly, you know, and the same thing holds true with uh, you make events, you make this. According to a person's financial standing and, and abilities, that's what you're supposed to do. Now, what's fascinating here is, is that over here, by the half shekel, it, according to some opinions, it was a biblical transgression to give more than a half shekel. It doesn't make a difference. You can be a multi-billionaire who doesn't know how to give a half shekel. I never saw a half shekel in my life. The smallest coin, you know, they have these, they have, uh, I don't know if they still do, but years ago they had these um, um, TV shows where they would take people who had incredible wealth Right, uh, Bill Gates, whatever the big uh, top five on on Forbes, and they would uh, challenge them to guess the price of a loaf of bread. <laughs> I challenge you. Do you know what a loaf of bread costs? Do you know what a bottle of water costs? Yeah, and they would give, and they they would guess, and they would guess. Yeah. Right, Warren Buffett would know. Warren Buffett famously, you know, uh, still lives in this. But they, they would say these people never shot. They haven't shot in decades. No clue. See a bottle of water. Look at a little bottle of water. And one of them will say, I don't know, 10 cents. And one will say, oh, $30, you know, for like a Kirkland bottle. No, they have a different concept. In the Torah, over here by the half shkolem that were donated to the Mishkan, you were not allowed to, it doesn't matter what your concepts were. You didn't know how to write a check for less than $1,000 to tzedakah. It doesn't matter. You had to give a half shekel. It was a biblical transgression to give more than, uh, than a half shekel. And I remember uh, Rabbi Fran speaking about this. He has so much, so much beautiful Torah. If you, anybody has a chance to look, look up Rabbi Fran's Torah, specifically on Barshas Kisisa, there's really so much to learn here. But I, um, I remember listening to a shir from him years ago, 
And he, he speaks about first-class syndrome. And he says that there's times where there is economy and business and first-class, and we have to be, we, uh, a person just has to learn to live within their means and not feel pressure by anybody else. Then there's times where every Yid has to know there's no first-class over here. When we looked at the Mishkan and we looked at the sacrifices, you, it, was, you, it was impossible, it wasn't allowed for one Yid to look at the Karbonos on the Mizbeach and say, you know what, I, I allowed that to happen more than somebody else. It's, it's, it's a transgression. You're not allowed to. So every, it was, usher. Oh, you want to give a whole shekel? We don't let. You want to give a hundred shekel? We don't let. It's a half shekel. Everything over here is, is uniformity. And, and this is how the, it's so precious how the Torah really allows these midos around our midos, creates these boundaries around our, uh, the, the proper measurements around our character traits to let us know there's a time and place for unity without uniformity. And then there's a time and place where it's the right thing to be uniform with others. And we find this throughout Tyra. We find this throughout Navi when so many, when the, the greatest gedolim and Naviim were, you know, were offered, whether it was positions or the opportunity to be different or I'll make a nation through you. So... And, and, you know, the response really is, like, just, I, I, want, I don't want to stick out. You know, just, just leave me among, let me be amongst everybody else. When a person starts out amongst everybody else, that's, and, and we're just living amongst Kal Yisrael, and, and we're counted as part of the greater whole, that's what makes us eternal. And that's Ach Yisrael, La Yishaket, right? The eternity of Kal Yisrael doesn't lie. And the more, yes, there's different achrayas, different responsibilities, but the more we allow ourselves to be part of Netzach Yisrael, to be part of Eden, Part just just one amongst everybody else, and not always. Sometimes we're obligated to stick out, but if not, all, but there, there's a time to know when and how to do it. And the Torah is letting us know what those times, uh, what those times are. Okay. So ha'asher lo yarbe, a wealthy person is not allowed to give more. lo yamet, and if you were poor, you couldn't give less. You had to take part. It was like a tax. You had to take part in this mitzvah. Lasei says truma Hashem again. The word truma to give truma lechaper al nafshosechem. And this is all an atonement for, this is all a, uh, it's, it's all an atonement for our nefesh. Okay. Next mitzvah. Vasisa kiyar nechayshes, we should make the copper kiyar, which famously was made from the mirrors of the women in Mitzrayim, who I believe we, we expounded on this in the uh, majority of this year last year, was on the, uh, the women in Mitzrayim, who in their schus and their merit we were redeemed. They never gave up to the um, yish, to the despair and the hope that the men allowed to happen. The women always made sure that they were, they were uh, made up and put together. And their purpose was to show the nobility of Klal Yisrael. That no matter, we're not great by how people treat us. We're great by how we act by ourselves. Very often we feel defined by our, you know, somebody... Uh, and we all, we're all like this. We're, we're creatures of society. And if somebody speaks negatively to us, somebody speaks negatively about us and we hear about it, we feel bad. That's a normal thing. That's a finer thing. But the issue is, and this is why it's important to have people to speak with, whether it's a good friend, whether it's a therapist, uh, somebody to, to share things with. It's, we naturally will tend, because we're creatures of society, to start to define ourselves by how... Uh, how we're viewed by others. And, and it, it takes real understanding and, and back and forth 
and openness and, and candidness to realize that I, I am who I am independent of the way that people speak to me. I am who I am independent of the names that people, uh, that people may call, call me or the way, that people, uh, the way that people view me. And the women of Kalyasol were the ones, it was the, the men, Chazal teach us, started to become real avadim. We started to become real servants of the mitzvah and we viewed ourselves like avadim. We viewed ourselves, this was the reality. This went on for hundreds of years. And, and the mentality was a servant mentality. It was the women in Mitzrayim who kept, no, they, they kept the, their appearance and they kept looking in the mirror and making sure that they were of nobility and regal and put together so that when their husbands would come home, they would, you know, and then the Kalyusol would get together. They, you dress a certain way when, you, when, uh, when a person is noble. And they kept up the, um, what's it, the atmosphere, but there's a better word for it. The, the, the culture, the ambiance of what was going on in Kalyusol, they, they, uh, they really kept it going. And it was this, it was these uh, copper mirrors that the Kain Gadol and the Kahanan would wash their, would, would prepare and, and wash before they would, before they would uh, start the Avaidah. Okay. And then we have the mitzvah of Ketiris. The Ketiris was put together as well, which interestingly, just to mention one thing on the Ketiris, that uh, there was, uh, one of the ingredients had a specifically offensive odor. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it was, uh, it smelled terrible. And the Rishayinim point out over here is that the incense that were burnt up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, most of it was nice, but the, the, some of it was not good. And this is also a message to how Klai Yisrael comes together in front of Hashem. You can't only make yourself a group of tzaddikim without including others who have what we'll call a foul odor. And that foul odor could come sometimes in a physical way, sometimes it can come in a spiritual way. But we have to realize that as Klai Yisrael, there's, there's always going to be people that not only are not perfect, but bring something negative, uh, uh, what, what seems to be negative to the club. We're a club of, of uh, good-smelling people, so to speak, you know, so to speak, in a way of, in a way of analogy. And then there's, there's going to be people, who is, you know, the, the, either their lifestyle or whatever it is, they, they don't smell good. And the terrorists letting us know, they're still part of Klai Yisrael. They're still part of Klai Yisrael. Now, so what do I do about that? So interestingly, we include them in our service of Hashem. You'll never say to somebody who has a foul odor, again, this is using both spiritual, emotional, physical, whatever it is, that you can't join us in serving Hashem. doesn't mean you include them in everything, because sometimes they can have a negative impact, right? You need to have home court advantage, so to speak. So if you're in the base of Mikdash, and we're doing something holy, where we have davening and shul, we're learning Torah. So somebody of a, you know, is coming from a different cloth, you make sure to include them because you don't need to be concerned about the, the negative influence when we're in our midst of serving the Rebbein Okay. okay. If you just touching on this this idea of, of uh, including uh, people who have sin, so if you look in this week's parsha at the Aliyah of Levi. The second Aliyah in the Torah. Try to find where it ends. Goes on and on and on and on. Very long Aliyah. Levi. Until Shlishi, you got the Shlishi, and then Ravi and Hamishi, they're all like, uh, you're hitting six to ten. Then it gets a little longer again, whatever. 
A very nice amount of the parsha doesn't come until Shlishi. You'll notice very long until Shlishi. You know why? Because it talks about the sin of the golden calf and only the tribe of Levi who didn't get involved is allowed to be standing at the Torah because they weren't involved in this sin. It is a, uh, it's, a bizarre, it, it's an embarrassment to us to be there, standing there and make the bracha on the Torah when me and my forefathers were involved in this, in this transgression. It's for that reason that if somebody were to be intermarried and come to shul, it's forbidden to call them to the Torah. Because it's the very same Torah that says you're not allowed to do such a thing. And then you're going to call them up to stand by the Torah and make a blessing. First of all, it's a disgrace to the Torah. And secondly, it's an embarrassment to them. It's an embarrassment to them. But you're making a blessing on the Torah that you, you know you're, you're transgressing. So it, it, it doesn't make any sense to give that person a lead. It doesn't make sense. Okay. Now, if that relationship ends and they're not there, so then... We're back to being it. But when a person's within living that lifestyle, right then and there, there's certain parts. It just becomes, it becomes a reality of the situation. It's the same way I can't, you know, I'm not going to be called up to the Torah during the, for the Chet Ego. So included, yet there's part of it, which is, uh, there's going to be parts of it that you're not allowed. If you have enough finesse, you'll figure it out. If you have enough finesse, you know, you'll, uh, we had a situation a number of years ago, um, and I got this idea. The Rabbanu Shalom allows things to pop in. I got this idea because I heard a story of a Rashiva in New York who was very involved in Klal Yisrael. And the governor of New York was attending the wedding and he was told the governor is expecting an honor you know, at the wedding. So the governor is not Jewish. What are you going to do? Call him up for the seventh bracha? You know what I mean? Like, uh, what are you going to do? So they, they made him the ring bearer after everybody walked down the aisle. So they... They gave the governor the ring, and he walked down the aisle and handed the ring to the groom. Very nice, it's a cute idea. So he come up, it doesn't have nothing to do with the ceremony. The guy got his covet. Everybody looked at him. He got his honor. And Shalom al Yisrael, you know, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's very happy. So we had a situation similar where uh, there was a family in a tough spot. There was a, a close family member who was, uh, who was intermarried, and there was a bar mitzvah, and the family member came to Shul, and they were expecting an honor. And I remembered this story. So what I uh, advised the parents of the bar mitzvah boy to do is that this person should sit next to them in shul and then the boy should go up to the bima to, to, to start the Torah reading. Before he starts the Torah reading, the, this family member should be the one who brings the silver hand from the boy's seat to him so that he could start reading. That's the covenant. That's the covenant. All right, so I made something up, and the guy was fine. You know, that was, we told him it's a big covenant. It's a big honor, and uh, you know, you're the, the kid can't read without the silver hands. So you're the one who's causing this whole thing to happen. You know, all right, fine. You know, he got his covenant, and, and uh, you know, nothing changed. You know, nothing really mattered over here. The Yitzchak Zilberstein just on this theme. Yitzchak Zilberstein has a story. There's a guy. There was a woman there, Israel, who was becoming a little. Uh, was a woman who started becoming observant. She wanted to put a mezuzah on her door. And her husband was absolutely nothing. He's not having no, no, no Judaism this in Israel. Anti-everything. And it was causing, uh, this woman really wanted a mezuzah on her door. And she wasn't completely observant, but she wanted a mezuzah on her door. So she went uh, to one of the rabbis in Kirov, which is, what should I do? So he, said, he said, come with me, let's go to Rabbi Yisrael Zilberstein. Um, let's ask him, he's got all the interesting stuff. And... He, uh, 
Um, so they came to him, and Rabbi Yisrael said, is your husband a, a nice guy? Is he a good guy? He says, yeah, he's a good guy. He's just anti-religion, anti-God, anti He said, would he be willing to talk to me about the mezuzah situation? She said, probably, he's a mensch, but I'm telling you, you're not going to budge him. You're not going to move. Fine. So he said, all right, let me try. Um, so the, uh, the woman goes home, and her and her husband get on the phone, and they call Rabbi Yisrael on the phone. And he looks over, you know, he says, he says, Rabbi, I don't care if you're, I don't care what, this is not happening in my house. And she says, I want a mezuzah. So he looks over, says to the husband, he says, listen, he says, you're a nice guy, you're a good guy. Forget, take religion away for for a minute. Don't you want your wife to be happy? Your wife to be happy. He says, yeah, but not when she can't be putting religion on me. He says, how about? He says, how about a compromise? How about a compromise? He says, like what? He says. Instead of putting a mezuzah on two sides of the door, let's put it on one side. <laughs> let's put it on one side. <laughs> I was like, all right. When I, when I saw this, I started laughing. But I was like, how long is that going to last? They're going to put a mezuzah on one side of their door. And then this guy, at some point, is going to walk into somebody else's house and be like, you also had this problem? <laughs> Every Jew's having this problem. Nobody, everybody's, all these couples are fighting over two mezuzahs or, I don't know how long it's going to last, but I guess he was at least buying time. I, I, don't, I don't know what it was. But all right, let's keep going. Let's, <laughs> let's move along over here. All right. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, we're now up to Paraklam. But I'll have plus a good base. Let's get a little bit into... Um, into Shabbos. This is beautiful. But, but, if only, you should guard my Shabbos because it is a sign between you and your children for all generations. The, the, one of the greatest signs of the marriage between Klai Yisrael and the Rabbani Shalom is Shabbos. Ushmartem Mesa Shabbos should protect Shabbos because it is uh, it's Kodesh whoever does work on it now work is interesting because you can't just understand it by looking at this verse it seems like you can't pick up a 200 pound box that's called work but to flip on a light there's no issue no, they don't work what are you talking about right so that's where Torah Sheval Pek comes in and explains to us that work is whatever was done for the construction of the Mishkan that was necessary for the construction of the tabernacle. And if it wasn't necessary for the construction of the tabernacle, it's not called malacha. It's not called work when it comes to Hilcha Shabbos. Six days you shall work. There's a mitzvah to work. On the seventh day, Shabbos Shabboson. It's Shabbos. It's the Shabbos of Shabbosim. It's holy for Hashem. And you should observe the Shabbos. Last is Shabbos that raised him b'shalom to keep for all generations between me and you. It's like a signet ring, like a, a, somebody wears a, a wedding band that's a sign that they're married. When they take off the wedding band, sign that they're not married. Shabbos is kind of like the wedding band between a yid and uh, between a yid and Klal Yisrael. Now, a, a, a few things on this. Number one is um, this is again coming from Rabbi Friend. He says that he th- there's a number of different customs in Klal Yisrael how to make kiddush on Shabbos day. Friday night, there's a long Kiddush, right? We have Vayichulu and, and the, the long bracha. On Shabbos day, there's different customs. Um, some, Shabbos day, the Kiddush is called uh, Kedusha Rabbah, okay? Now, some begin with, with the, the something that we do in Shul by Kiddush, 
is I'll say the first verses like quieter, and then there's like. Shh. Some people start with uh, from over there, um, which the reason why I say the psukim up until there is because there's another issue. You're not supposed to say partial verses, so it, it is a custom. But we, uh, you know, uh, we, we we do say the whole verse. I just say that part out loud because that's when the, the bracha. With that is what the main part that people need to hear. Some people have a custom to begin with um, and there's others who have a custom to start Kiddush with Bishamru B'nai Yisrael So there's really three uh, primary different customs that you'll find in Klal Yisrael. Now there's something very interesting. I don't know if anybody here comes from Hasidic communities. Um, in, in Ashkenazic communities, so usually Shabbos morning you make Kiddush if you go home. You make Kiddush, and then you make Hamotzi. In Hasidish communities, it's very common where they, they go home, they make Kiddush, they'll eat Mizonos, and then start, they'll, they'll wash afterwards. They have a Kiddush in their house. And if, if you walk around Borough Park, you, the, the challah covers, okay, the covers, they have the blessing of Mizonos on them for Shabbos morning. Right, some people have challah covers with like the blessing of challah, right? And they'll have they have challah covers with the bracha of mizonos on it because that's in the chesidish circles. That's how they make kiddush in the morning. So they cover their cake, and they make a mizonos. <laughs> they cover the cake, they make a mizonos. That's a that's a very uh, common custom. So um, this is told over about Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, zechayt of bracha, that um, he. Uh, after his wife passed away, he remarried. He had a Zivak Sheni, he had a second wife. And this wife, um, this wife came from a Hasidic background. Came from a Hasidic background. Her, her um, father was, was a Hasid, her grandfather was a Hasid. And Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky's grandchildren came to him for Shabbos after he got married for a second time. And uh, specifically, this is told over by Rabbi Pesach Diskin from Baltimore. Uh, he has a beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, divrei that he sends out every week. He's cousins with Yaakov Berkowitz, who's also a great grandson. Uh, Pesach Tisson is a grandson of Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. So he was there for Shabbos shortly after his grandfather got remarried, and his grandfather made Kiddush, and then he made Mizonos <laughs> after Kiddush. So he said, Zaydi, you're not a Chassid. You are. You're a Litvak. <laughs> you know, you're, uh, you're not Chassidish, and and. Rabbi Yaakov explained to him, he says, I know, but now my wife, you know, and he's, um, he was old, he says, now this, is, this was her custom, and that's what she's used to. She's used to uh, coming home and then first making the Mizonos, and, uh, and this was, you know, he, uh, he wasn't a, a youngster anymore, and he for sure been doing this for 60 plus years, uh, making Kiddush a certain way. But, uh, you know, this is how Kiddush is made with with his new wife, and uh, he, you know, he's, he, he uh, accepted, he accepted that mimic. So I just, when I saw this, I said, "Okay, so you see, not to get uh, say so you can't teach an old horse new tricks, but if a person's an Eved Hashem, you have to be willing to learn new tricks. You know, you have to be willing to to keep uh, shifting around and to you know and to keep learning and changing and depending on the mitzvah of the moment. Yeah, the mitzvah of the moment was until now he's been a litvak and he went straight to making hamaytzi. And, uh, and now the mitzvah of the moment is to start making Kiddush on, uh, on Mezoinus. I just want to share one more thing, a fascinating, uh, beautiful story with Lev Leviev. Have you heard of Lev Leviev? 
He's, uh, I didn't know he was from. I did not know he was from. He's a Russian billionaire living in Israel. Um, multi-billionaire. One of the biggest diamond, uh, uh, diamond manufacturers in the world. Um, he, uh, he, one of his famous quotes that he has all the time is that he was interviewed before he made Aliyah. He was still living in Russia. And he was interviewed and they, he, they asked him the trick to selling diamonds. Mm-hmm. What's the trick? So he said the trick to selling diamonds is to get people to spend money on something they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like. Yeah. That, that was his, that's his famous quote. That's his famous quote of diamonds. Get people to spend money. He said, if you can figure that out, you'll be good. <laughs> money you don't have, <laughs> something you don't need to impress people you don't like. So I, but I didn't know he was, he was from, but I, I came across an incredible story. He's from, I looked it up. As he's a, he's a, he's a from, he's a big philanthropist. He supports Tyra Incredible. And um, there's a case that went to the Supreme Court a number of years ago. It's case number 78590. I found this case incredible. And apparently he purchased a large um, strip mall in the center of Tel Aviv. He invested in a large strip mall in the center of Tel Aviv. And this strip mall had always been open on Shabbos. And as soon as he bought it, as soon as he signed on it, he shut it down. None of the stores are allowed to be open on Shabbos. And the mayor of Tel Aviv sued him. He said, this is not Yerushalayim. This is not Bnei Brak. This is Tel Aviv. In Tel Aviv, we function 24-7. There's no stopping. This is the city that doesn't sleep. This is the, this is the main center. And uh, you're not taking this. And they, the city sued him and they won. They won, forcing him to be open on Shabbos, and he took the case to the Supreme Court, and this is case number 78590, Lev Levyev took this to the Supreme Court, this guy can afford any attorney that he wants, okay, he took it all the way up to the Israeli Supreme Court, he came in front of uh, Justice Aron Barak, okay, Aron Barak, and Barak is the one who said to him, he said, you have no right to change a culture of a whole city just because you're religious, this is not Bnei Brak, this is not Yerushalayim. You cannot start uh, forcing your religion on all the store owners that are renting, uh, that are renting stores from you. Okay? Who do you think you are? So um, Lev Leviev, this, uh, he, he, he got rid of his attorneys over here, he said, and he himself stood in front of the, the justices and he said as follows. He said to the, he said to the justices, he says, I, I, I'm going to ask you for a moment to use your imagination. Um, he says, the a President of the United States is coming to Israel to visit us. Now, he's met a lot of presidents. The president's coming. He says, Roads shut. Hashmira, security, Mizgaberet, everybody knows the president's coming. You guys know where he's going with this. He comes and knocks on your door. He says, just this picture the president, whoever you like, your favorite president, yeah? Or your worst president, whoever it is. He knocks on your door. You open the door, you see the president of the United States, and he walks into your house. He sticks out his hand. 
and he's got a package in his hand, and he says, I want to give you a present on behalf of all the citizens of the United States of America. Here, it's for you. And you say to the president, get out of my house. I don't want your present, I don't want you, leave. Is that a chutzpah? Mm-hmm. They say, sure. So Lev Leviev says, I want to tell you something. Borei Olam, the creator of the world, said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Matanat tovo yeshli bebeit gnazai, my most beautiful gift, the best gift I have in my storehouse is Shabbat. The greatest gift I have, says God. And every, every Friday night, God comes knocking on our door and he says, I got a gift for you. He says, you want to send them home? He says, this is why I closed my stores on Shabbat. I'm not putting my religion on anybody, but you know what I'm doing? The same way you show kavod to the President of the United States and you understand that the roads close down and people show up to give honor, how much more so do you have to do this for Shabbat? That was his, that was his uh, response to them. And that, that, that's what he, uh, he uh, you know, that was his claim. And... The uh, and uh, they write here, Ashafet Aron Barak. Barak said that um, he said, I never heard somebody speak so warmly about their own religion. See, what happens is that people think that when you're observant and you keep Yiddishkeit, we're like, we're just cold, not thinking, just doing things. We're trying to like push ourselves around the people. He, he like, he, he, he heard the heart in what, in what uh, Leviev was telling him. And uh, and ultimately they ruled that he could uh, he can keep it closed in Tel Aviv until today, the, the, until today the the stores remain uh, closed. He says, "Achzelo negmar hakenyon shall Mr. Leviev." Uh, says he. Uh, um, this is wild. He says as uh, I think he he sold it recently actually. Yeah, he sold this mall recently. He says Leviev owned this strip mall for ten years. It's a large mall in the center of Tel Aviv. This was the number one mall in sales. Number one mall in sales throughout the entire land of Israel. The entire time that Levi owned the strip mall. Entire time. Nothing changed. So this is the V'shambu B'nei Yisrael Shabbos. This is the, 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 the Shabbos that we have between us and, uh, and the Rabban So this is the sign. This is the sign. Yeah. She wants to know: should, Is there any way? Is there you know to tell somebody like that that you should not sell the mall because then eventually it'll open up? Uh, it'll open up on Shabbos. I don't know. I'm sure he has his own people who he's talking to. He didn't ask me my opinion. Yeah, I, you know. But there's uh, there there's Gemaras that talk about the, that talk about uh, such concepts. There's Gemaras that talk about. Um, such concepts and it, it, it the reason why it's important and it's not something to brush aside is because it, a psak like this allows us again to define my responsibilities vis-a-vis the responsibilities of others that's hard it, it's hard just as people to know where my responsibility ends to do to you know to that something should be good and where your responsibility starts i can't push my will on you you can't push your will on me and, uh, you know, and how much is it my responsibility to make sure that you end up doing the right thing? It's not so simple. And we cross those lines very often. Sometimes we go too far. Right? We, we, we try, and we're just trying to be helpful. Right? So we'll say something to somebody or, 
will withhold something from somebody, will give something, and it turns out to do more harm than good. And it's, it's situations like this that help us create the premise. I don't know exactly what the situation of, of, uh, of that sale was and what happened after that. I don't know. Yeah? When in the Torah, basically, it talks about you sell an animal. Yeah, there was a sold his animal to somebody, and then the guy tried working on the shop, and the animal with him. Did they sell slaves? Huh? Did they sell slaves as well? What does that mean, sell slaves? Did someone sell from Jews? Could they sell their slaves to someone else? Jewish? A Jewish servant? Yeah, if the guy's going to treat him well, and you could, tra- you could transfer, you don't own the person's body, though. You, you don't own your ser- servitude. Yeah, like so they have a responsibility to serve. It's different than regu- like a right, slave. So they can sell the servitude to someone else. Yeah. But that's not that someone else. So they have to let them work no. on Shabbos? No, you, they're not allowed to work them on Shabbos. The they're same not re- allowed to work them on Shabbos? No, nope. no. Nope. The same reason why on the Ten Commandments right here, it says, Zachar es Yom HaShabbos, and then it says, Kaved es Avicha Keep Shabbos and then respect your parents. And the sages teach us, that even if your parents tell you to transgress Shabbos, that's why it says keep Shabbos first. Because my number one responsibility before my interpersonal relationships, even to respect one's parents, is to listen to the word of Hashem. And the same way that one's parents are obligated to allow them and they themselves to keep the Shabbos, so too uh, you, you can't uh, so, change that. Yeah. To fast forward to this mall, yeah. where he sold it, Jews were not working Shabbos. Now he sells it. Jews are working Shabbos. Okay, but that's not his. He's not causing them. He's not. It's the other person's responsibility. That's not his responsibility. Can't control things. We're not the Lord. We're not the Lord. So you control what you could. Control what you could. They just rented from him, but I'm just trying to. Yeah. I, so somebody could research who he sold it to. I don't know. Maybe else. Yeah. That incident is a good example why the the so-called reform of the judiciary mm-hmm. is lousy. Because? Because if the court can accept... I, I don't know much about this, so you could... You should, uh, yeah, if the court could accept... If the, if, if the Supreme Court recognizes the merit of that presentation, it should be protected. And... The so-called uh, uh, coalition is trying to destroy that. So you'll have to explain how that how that whole thing works. I've heard of this, but I don't know what it is. So you'll give us a little sheer after. Yeah, I, I'd like I'd like to know because that's what all these protests going on are. About. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I don't know what I heard. There's protests and has to do something with the legal system, but I don't know much else. Judiciary. Okay, so I don't be. It'll give us a class when we're done, if that's okay. Yeah? yeah. yeah? I'm, I'm, I'd be very curious to uh, very curious to know about it. Yeah? Uh, going back to Kiddush for a second. In San Jose, um, when Rob Halberkheim... Okay, I just want to share one more idea. Then we'll get to... We'll, yeah, no? Uh, a little bit. I, I need, I, I'd like to understand a little bit. Okay, uh, just uh, one more idea. So, Maishra, I mean, let's discuss a little bit uh, what happened, what, what caused the Chatega, one cute incident, and then a, a, a nice Limur. But... Um, we, we ultimately the, the Parsha comes around to the sin of the calf which what happened was Moshe went up in Harsinai and by Yarha Amki Boshesh Moshe the people saw that Moshe Rabbeinu was delayed 
Boshesh means Boshesh. He didn't come down until the sixth hour of the expected day. They gather around Aaron. They said to him, Come, make for us a God that could, uh, that could lead us. So, um, uh, a few things on this. Number one is, number one is, I thought I put something on. There's a, we've heard of Jewish time? What's Jewish time? Always late. Always late. Always late. Yeah? So I saw a beautiful thing this week. I was like, it just changed my whole perspective. There's a big mile, a big mile in Eretz Yisrael who's got five, at least, brisim a day. There's a famous one, Maishal and Yasala. This one is a, I forget his name. I thought I wrote it down in my notes. I don't, I, it, it didn't come out in the printer. Um, <laughs> forgot his name. It's big Talmud Chacham. Very sharp. And he moves. He moves. They come. They do the bris. Chik chak yalla. He's a, so he was at a specific bris. And he was at a bris. And it took longer. There was an issue that whatever, whatever came up, he had to check the baby again. Huh? Took a little extra time. So he came to the next bris 20 minutes later than he was supposed to. And they said to him... Twenty minutes late. Uh, you said you're going to be here at ten a.m. and at ten twenty. Yeah? All right. He was busy doing a different bris. Like you're lucky to have me, type. You know. Mm-hmm. So you know. So he, got, so he says, you know what? He said, you have a problem again. Twenty minutes late. It's people like you who caused the sin of the golden calf. Mm-hmm. So he said, us. He said, us. He's like, yeah. It's people like you that couldn't wait a little longer for Meisher uh, Rabbeinu to come down. Uh, like, it. like, chill, chill. That was that was his response. Like, take it easy. So, so I saw this. I smiled. I was like, maybe this is where Jewish time comes from. It's a kapara. By Maisha, we're like, where is this guy? We're yuckies. We're like, he's a few hours late. What's going on? It's the sixth hour. So from then on, ever since then, everything starts. <laughs> Jewish time. Jewish time. We now have a new source for the minog. You know? Why, why is everything starting late? We don't Because uh, we're staying away from, the, from being such yuckies by the sin of the golden calf. So all right. N- another perspective. <laughs> on, on maybe uh, starting Simchas, uh, starting Simchas a little later. But here's an interesting question. There's no Jewish time. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, you can start an hour early and then come an hour late. So you started 18 minutes as your hour late. But yeah, there's certain time. Listen, not to always be late. You know, it's good to be punctual. It's a good midah. But when Simchas started at, at Jewish time, that's different. Interesting question to think about. There's a few answers, but let, let, let's leave off with an interesting question. Okay, um, they, Moshe's delayed in coming down, so they say to Aaron, "Let's make an intermediary." And what do they want him to do? Take the gold, and let's make something else in between. Here's my question: Why didn't they just ask Aaron to take his brother's place? Mm. They want somebody else. Aaron's next in line. He's there. He's a big tzaddik. What happened? Like, what happened? They, they want an intermediary. It's like, Aaron's like pushing them off. You have the guy right here. He's just say, Aaron, you want the position? Let him say, you know, I need two days to think about it. Right. And save the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A couple days later, you know, and he knows my just coming down. He keep, he's trying to delay them and he was trying to do... What, 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 like, what's wrong with anybody else? That's the question. All right. We'll hold it here. <laughs> think... think uh, 
I'll, I'll give you some answers to think about, uh, think about over Shabbos. I have a few answers. I have a few answers that I've, uh, that I've seen, but it's an interesting question to discuss over Shabbos.